Welcome to Working Dog Radio. Broadcasting the Bite. Uh, it's Ted. Eric and I make no bones about the fact that we love Dogtra. We've been using them even long before they were sponsors of the podcast. Uh, my favorite is the 1900S hands-free. I typically have the remote in my pocket and I just put the other remote inside my glove or on my wrist and I can use that thing all day long. It's fantastic. Dr. is going to continue to be a sponsor of the podcast and because of that, you guys get a discount. So if you head to dogtra.com, any unit over $200, you'll get a 10% off if you use the discount code WDR10. That's Working Dog Radio 10, WDR10, dogtra.com. Go get it. This episode of Working Dog Radio is being brought to you in part by RayAllen.com. RayAllen.com, your one-stop shop for everything dog-related. Not just canine, not just search and rescue, not just civilian sport, and not just pets. All of it. Everything related to a dog you can find at RayAllen.com. Be sure to mention the discount code WORKINGDOGRADIO for 10% off your next order. RayAllen.com for all things dogs. Man, we are stoked to have TrueScent back on the podcast as a sponsor. Train your explosive detection dogs with TrueScent Canine, not a pseudo. It's a simulant. Training aids available at TrueScent Canine. That's the letter K, the number nine, dot com, or 512-533-2040. If you use the code WDR15, that's WDR15, you get 15% off your next order of training aids Accessories are excluded. Hit them up, truescentcanine.com. This episode of Working Dog Radio is brought to you by Hits Training and Consulting. Next year, August 13th through the 16th in Chicago, Illinois, the number one police canine conference in the world, hands down. The most amazing instructors there. Wait till you see the vendor show. If you thought last year was big, you haven't seen anything. There's going to be vendors from every facet of the canine industry, giveaways, everything you can think of, great times. During the day, great times at night. Ted and I will be there, Working Dog Radio booth. Going to have a good time. Hits 2019. Don't wait. Register now. Hitscanine.net. Any working dog handler can tell you these dogs find magical and magnificent ways to hurt themselves. Hell, half of being a handler is keeping them from hurting themselves. Much like maintenance training, care and upkeep is an important ongoing duty of any working handler, no matter if it's military, law enforcement, search and rescue, or sport. I had a dual-purpose dog at the kennel that we were training that had a hot spot from a food allergy, and it was clearly bugging him. We had to continue working this dog. I didn't have time for him to take off. So our vet wanted to put him on some anti-inflammatory, and I'm usually pretty anti-med unless it's absolutely necessary. If you remember from the Janet Baker episode, certain medications will cause problems with detection, and I ain't got time for that. I found a product called Quick Term from the people over at VetCare. I used this spray once a day for a week. And it was gone completely. We had another dog get a puncture wound during a track on his chest, and it probably needed a staple, but it was in a weird area. So I clipped a fur around it and put this on there once a day for about 10 days, and it was like it never happened. This isn't a Me Too product. It's not relabeled. It's specifically made for dogs and horses. Nothing like it on the market, and it works on wounds, but it also takes care of skin issues like flea dermatitis, hot spots like I mentioned, lick sores, granulomas, pad injuries, and the dreaded happy tail, which causes the back of your patrol cruiser to look like the OJ crime scene. It's a patented formula with a lot of science behind it. This shit really works. Due to disclosure, 
I got tagged pretty bad and needed to get sewn back together a couple months ago. And I may have used it on myself and it works great. The stub is also temperature stable, so you can keep it in the patrol car with all the rest of your first aid supplies in the summer and the winter, and it'll help prevent small issues from becoming larger ones, and it'll keep the admins happy because the vet bills will go down. Head over to vetcare.us and use the discount code 10WDR, that's 10WDR, and get 10% off. Get your working dogs working again and quicker with QuickDerm. All right, it's Ted from a finally sunny Tulsa, Oklahoma. It's finally stopped raining here. Uh, we are broadcasting the bite here on Working Dog Radio. With me, as always, is Eric Stambro from Canton, Ohio. Eric, what's up? Uh, it's actually your rain came here because it's raining here. You're welcome. Um, right. No, no, no problem. Um, <laughs> it's been insanely busy. We have uh, I have a couple handlers in from Tennessee that... Um, a department I have a good relationship with and got some dogs down that way. Um, they're getting another one. So they were up here to meet her, female shepherd that I have, or Malinois that I have. It's a real nice dog. Um, and then, That's the one on all the Patreon videos, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And then cool. Linus comes back here tomorrow. Oh. Almost a year and, to the date from when we were at Hits last time when we got him. Yeah. Yeah, he... Um, He's coming back. He, uh, my buddy Carl, did all the training except for his dope work, and um, we started him at bite work. And then I, we noticed there was things weren't kind of progressing the way we wanted, and um, it looked like he was uncomfortable biting, not from pressure, but just in his mouth. And we looked, and he had a he needed a root canal, so we got that done. That's put it back ah. a little bit, but um, he's coming back tomorrow and start uh, start dope with him. And then this weekend. I have a pet dog seminar at my my place. I have a bringing in a trainer named Jeff Gelman to do oh, a, from uh, Rhode Island. Yep, to do yeah, a big yeah. seminar there. Busy as hell, man. How about you? Yeah. Uh, I got a handler finishing up school on tomorrow. He's been here for like five or six weeks, and he's certified uh, with the state Tuesday this week, Tuesday or Wednesday. So they're good to go now. Uh, it's one of the first dogs that. Um, State of Oklahoma um, just recently allowed us, uh, not us, but the departments to opt to take an option to not certify on marijuana. And this department opted to take that. And uh, the last five dogs I've done in the state that have stayed in the state, uh, they've opted out of it. So interesting, uh, especially given the light of the case that just happened with uh, what happened up in Colorado. Uh, McKnight, people yep. versus McKnight was finally decided. Which, <laughs> yeah, man, that's going to get interesting if they decide to push that any further. So, <laughs> yeah, I said uh, it on an episode before. Right. The Supreme Court will decide all this stuff. Ultimately, right. all this stuff will be, you know, so the states can try all the stuff they want. You know, oh, we're going to have to get rid of dogs, do this and that. Just chill the hell out. Yeah. It'll, it'll it, be decided. It's going to happen. Yeah. Colorado just legalized mushrooms, so yeah. they got, there's got to be some answers. There's, uh, you know, and the way that they worded it, you know, everybody freaked out at first, and then we're like, man, did they just throw their own law under the bus or what? Because sure sounded I mean, like it. Because the way it reads now is people have an expectation of privacy while they're breaking the law, which is pretty interesting. So, <laughs> I uh, the, the logic behind it was kind of counterintuitive. And like I read through all the decisions and all the dissenting opinion because it was a four three decision and it was pretty interesting um, to kind of read the logic behind um, 
the four, like the concurring opinions, um, the dissenting opinions, of course I agreed with. Um, so mm-hmm. I don't know, man, it's, uh, could be interesting. And we're actually trying, I actually sent out an email to the, uh, assistant attorney general of, Cal- or of uh, Colorado to try it. Cause they were one of the guys, uh, arguing it and trying to see if he would want to come on and talk about it. So we'll keep everybody updated on that. I think it'd be a good interview because, um, that has gone through, hurdles and hurdles and multiple iterations and i mean it's been a fairly long process for that thing because it started out i mean like right after that uh, the initial stop i think happened right after they made uh marijuana recreational illegal so mm-hmm. um it's a definitely a like a watershed moment in kind of like the the gray area that we're all operating in so um should be interesting. If anybody's listening to this and you want the opinion, um, the decision, and you can't find it, uh, shoot us an email at host at Working Dog Radio. I've got all of the uh, concurring and dissenting opinions from the state Supreme Court of Colorado. Um, it's an interesting read. Um, if you're def- if you're a, a prosecutor or something you want to read it to, shoot us an email. Um, but yeah. So speaking of records, and um, you know, on the the uh, the rant episode, I think we talked about it a little bit, but. Um, and it's something that, you know, you preach a lot. I mean, how many times have you had to go to court for a records thing? Um, almost like a lot. <laughs> like a lot. You got to put the suit on the whole deal. Yeah, I just, uh, I just went to court uh, as an expert witness in records um, last year twice, just specifically for records. And uh, when, when we brought in the massive pile of paperwork that pretty much ended the suppression hearing right then and there. Right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's something that you preach to your handlers. I preach to my handlers. And, you know, I mean, our guys jobs is not just, you know, running around biting dickheads and and finding stuff. It's like a lot of paperwork. Um, And I tell my guys all the time, I was like, you're not going to get hemmed up. Uh, I was like, you will if you make a bad, bad bite or a bad call, like you'll get fried for that and don't do that. And we try and prevent that from happening through proper handler selection. But I was like, you know, the one thing that's going to hem you up is bad records. And that's where they're going to find mistakes. And that's not where you want them to find them. So, um, you know, judging by the the response I got from the RAN episode about that and about all the emails I've sent out for sample reports and sample policies and all this other stuff, um, and then kind of in the same vein of make Canadian canine great again for these next three episodes, mm-hmm. um, we have on uh, a guy from Canada who has a reporting system and a records keeping system and has, uh, like I said, I think handled his first dog before Canada was actually a state. It was back when like, you know, the British were still in control of Canada. So it was back Mm. in the day. So, um, tonight we've got Bob Eden on Bob. How are you? I'm doing well guys. Excellent. So why don't you give us a, uh, a rundown of your lengthy career in uh, canine, how you got into it, first dog, notable seizures, notable bites, whatever you want to include, and then we'll move on from there. Well, it's not too much notable. I'm just another dog handler that's gotten old, that's all. Um, right. started back as a police officer back in uh, 1982. Uh, our particular department didn't have a canine program at the time, so I submitted a uh, sort of a report to our supervisors suggesting that we implement a canine unit um, because I was uh, basically a rookie at that particular time. I didn't get accepted, although my my report did. It went to city council, and city council ran it on a $13,000 budget way back then. And so they started off with four dog teams, and they sent the handlers into Vancouver City Police Department where they were trained. Um, within a very short period of time, when they came back, 
they had issues with one of the handlers, and um, subsequently I ended up taking that position. Um, that was in 1986. Uh, I did not train with Vancouver Police Department. I actually went down and trained with the Pierce County Sheriff's Office down in Washington State. And from there, my career kind of just took off. I was very interested in, in canine behavior, actually in animal behavior overall. Uh, that was something that really um, intrigued me. Uh, and being able to combine that interest and that uh, uh, with my career just kind of sort of set the tone for where I went. I worked uh, two dogs at that particular time with my department, uh, and I worked from 2000 and or sorry from 1986 right through to uh, 2002 uh, with those dogs. As far as notable seizures with our department, it was all small stuff. Uh, we were on a on a major highway that came through from the international or sorry from. Um, the I-5 down in Washington State came up into Canada across the border there. Uh, so we were on a, a major, major interdiction uh, pathway, but that is controlled and worked by the RCMP. And uh, we were the municipal agency that surrounded that area. So a lot of our stuff was taken down uh, basically your big drug dealers and, and uh, the street-level users that we were working with. Uh, my forte when I worked was always tracking. Uh, that's what I love to do. Um, I think over my career, I, I believe, I can't remember exactly, but I, I want to say it was around 370 um, suspects that I um, sort of apprehended as a result of um, tracks or, or deployment of the dog over that period of time. So I had a, I had a fairly good career. I had a good, good, enjoyable career. Probably the best part of my entire career was, in fact, working dogs. I wouldn't change that for anything. Man, so you and Eric have something in common. You both got busier after you retired. Yeah. Uh, yeah pretty Weird much. how that yeah. happens. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, one thing I want to do, and I, and, uh, I, you know, we had talked earlier on the phone about um, record keeping and all that kind of stuff. So back in, I'm assuming back in the 80s, it was still paper. Um, <laughs> so... How has that progressed on your front from, you know, the time when you got into canine and I, and, you know, for everybody listening to, I mean, I, this should be common sense, but you know, it may not be, but you know, Canada and the United States have very different legal systems and we have very different sets of laws. There's a lot of similarities, but there's also a very defined, um, like separation as well, which um, there's a specific case that people wanted us to ask about too, which is the Vancouver. Well, uh, it was in Vancouver or it was in British Columbia recently. The one where the dog, the judge made the decision about not sitting or something. So, but what's changed as far as records go and the importance of them has changed from the eighties until, you know, where are we in now? 2019. So. It's changed dramatically. I, I remember when I first started, where I got the idea for training logs was actually when I joined the Washington State Police Canine Association. And they had basically ideas as to how to maintain logs uh, for your deployments. You know, back in those days, uh, not very many records were kept. Uh, it was very basic. As a matter of fact, I can remember, this is going to sound kind of really caveman-like, but I actually had a scribbler that I drew lines in and basically... Uh, marked down the information that I thought was important for me at the time that was separate, uh, that was specific for dog work, but separate from my regular standard reports. Um, and that went to creating forms on a computer that you would then print out, and then you would fill in the slots. Um, and eventually, in about 80, I want to say about 1989, 
Uh, I hired a company to start doing some programming for me. Uh, I wanted to have something that I could actually put on computer. And it just progressed from there. Uh, and over the years, we found that there seems to be more and more and more that we need to be able to keep track of. Um, it, it's gotten to be so intricate as far as details that we need to keep. And at the same time, we need to be cautious because we don't have to keep records of absolutely everything that we do. Uh, we need to be transparent, but you can overdo it as well. So it's, a, it's always a balancing act. Um, and that, the record-keeping program that, that we started was back in 1992. Um, what I ended up doing was I ended up lending it out to some fellow officers and surrounding agencies and others that were, had heard about it and wanted to try it out. And then they wanted updates. And I got to tell you, guys, it started getting expensive. And as a matter of fact, I, I ended up remortgaging my, remortgaging my home twice in order to, to keep up the programming costs on it just simply for my own interest. And uh, it eventually grew into a business, and that's kind of where it went from there. Awesome. That's dedication, definitely. Uh, re- refinancing twice. Yeah, you're, oh, yeah. you're definitely yeah, believing yeah. in it. Yeah, where else you, you're stuck? You can't go. You can't do anything else. You got to throw it all in. It's you know it, it's been a it's been a labor of love, but it's also I, I've got a sincere desire and I always have had to make the industry better. And it's not just it's not just the training that you do, but it's it's what you do afterwards that sort of um, protects you from. Uh, the issues that may come up as far as court is concerned. Uh, records are important in the fact that not only are they there to protect you from direct liability as a handler, but also supervisors and agencies from vicarious liability, but it's also there to assist you in getting uh, convictions in court. Um, without good records, you're not going to be able to maintain a strong conviction rate. You've got to have the records to back you up, and that comes down to Everything from from narcotics work to tracking, um, and then the protection level comes from your bite work and that type of routine. Um, it it covers all aspects of what you do. It's extremely important that 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 uh, high level of of uh, record keeping be maintained. It seems funny to me, you know, when I looked at the the systems themselves, and I see some of these agencies purchase the system, and then their handlers only do the bare minimum that's required. Uh, of them to to put down information. They don't like to put any more information than they absolutely have to. And they leave a lot of information blank. And we find that that causes a lot of problems when it comes to court. Yeah, one of the other things I tell people record keeping is insanely important to justify your existence, especially if you work in an agency where there are people up high that don't actually think we need dogs. And you, if you're not documenting every single time that that dog's out of the car uh, because they're going to look at numbers and look at stats, you're shooting yourself in the foot. Absolutely. The systems that, that maintain your record keeping now will justify your existence when you need to justify what you do to your administration. If you need backup, that's your backup when it comes to going and asking for another dog team asking for money for more money which is another issue that i have altogether. to this day i do not understand why dog handlers still have to go out and sell t-shirts in some agencies to bring enough money forward to be able to run their units 
Yeah, that is, especially, and you know, I would literally, Eric, God, I can hear Eric. I can hear Eric grinding his teeth from here. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and the the handler that I have right now that's finishing school, um, they have another one of our dogs, and it's a small town. Uh, they have 700 people, and they have two dogs. And um, their first dog is extremely successful. They have a casino there, and it's right on the border of Oklahoma and another state. And they... Um, they have these dogs for um, interdiction and some other things, but they track relentlessly, I mean, to the dollar, what those dogs bring in in terms of city tickets and in terms of ratios for apprehensions and surrenders and bites. And, uh, I mean, they obviously, and those those handlers keep relentless, relentless records. Another agency within the same county um, went from a one dog unit to a six dog unit with us. And it was because the handler tracked cases from the initial stop all the way through to its completion and then went in and showed, you know, people that write checks, you know, this is what this dog is doing. This is what they're producing. This is what I can't do without him. And all of a sudden they had to see like they see. And, you know, like Eric says it best, like people, I mean, canine for whatever reason is like the only part of law enforcement people to try to buy their way on you know and if you don't have support from admin they will find a reason to shit can you <laughs> they absolutely will i mean eric has a dog now that um bit a backing officer and it was their fault and they shit can the dog i mean for somebody else's decision so i mean yeah i, I can i can completely see that i mean you're 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 writing your own job at that point so you have to be meticulous Mm-hmm. Absolutely, it's there to protect you. I don't, I don't understand why some of these handlers will go and write a proper police report for any kind of a file, and they're absolutely meticulous in that police report. But when it comes down to then having to put the same effort into canine records, they don't seem to put that same kind of prior to, priority into it. And they'll go out, they'll train hard, they'll do excellent work, they'll have high performance on their dogs, they'll be top producers. But then when it comes to going to court, they don't have the records to back them up. And I've seen that on numerous occasions. And, and let me give you an example. Um, and I've had this happen three or four times where an agency head will contact me because they've been hit with a subpoena. And uh, in, that, in that subpoena, they're requesting specific records. They contact me because they think our system isn't working properly because they can't seem to get the reports to provide them the information that they need. And it's pretty much standard information that's fairly simple to put in. In the end, what we determined in each particular case is that the handlers were not putting the information in the system. They were filling out the bare bones information on the on the surface sheets, as it were, but they weren't getting any detail and going in and selecting the proper selections to, to sort of flesh out the documentation and get the job properly done. Now, that's not only the handler's fault, it's also the supervisor's fault because they're not following up and checking on these um, as, as these are being admitted. They're not following up and they don't either understand or know what they should be looking for or they just can't be bothered. They're trusting the handlers to do it instead of holding the handlers' feet to the fire. And it's, it's important that both sides uh, be cognizant of this. So what have you seen? Um, I'm sure you get get reports and get um, hear, hear things from users and everything of the software and everything. What, what do you see mistakes they make in putting too much in? Or is that a thing? 
It, it can't. Yeah, it can be. And one of the things that that I see or that I've seen in the past, where I've seen, and it's not so much of a problem anymore with um, with uh, Florida versus Harris. That particular case kind of helped things out a little bit, but initially it was mm-hmm. causing some problems. That's where um, officers will run their dogs around a car on the street. Uh, the dog will, in fact give an indication that yes in fact there is odor here and they'll call that a positive hit and then do a search in the vehicle and come up with nothing and they will put that in their documentation and it's unnecessary you don't necessarily need to document that but what's happening in the way some of these record keeping systems work is that if you do document that way there was one that even called it um uh what do they call it now the reports themselves um, it had to do with the street level performance of the dog when it comes to narcotic searches that were in fact hits, but nothing found. And what you would do is you're going through the, the records. You would see that it showed that 74%. I think I remember looking at one here at a canine supervisor's class that we were giving showed that 74% of the time that these dogs hit, there was nothing found in the vehicle. And then the question is raised, well, are these false alerts? And so if you document it, it's going to raise questions. There's certain things like that that you don't need to document. Just because there's nothing there doesn't mean that the dog wasn't hitting on residual order. That's straight out of Florida versus Harris. And they seem to recognize that and back that up now. But there's certain things like that that you want to be cognizant of when you're writing reports. Yeah, we, um, when I was there, when I was a handler, we did the same thing, you know, pre Florida versus Harris. We did the same thing. We would, you know, uh, dog indication, nothing found. Uh, if we knew, a lot of times, you know, on the street, you maybe you you sniff a car for the dope boys, for the you know the the undercover guys, and then you leave, and they do their thing, and they never really call and tell you what you found. Um, what have you seen? Uh, do you do you see a lack of reporting from explosive dog handlers and training? Um, you know what? That's a good question. I haven't had I haven't had a lot of connection as far as the actual handlers working explosive dogs as far as looking at what kind of records they're keeping um i know that the ones that i have seen are extremely meticulous um extremely meticulous i don't think i've ever seen any that were not as meticulous or almost to the point of um being having ocd and the ones that i've seen as far as explosive dogs are concerned uh, right down to even the, the records that they've got will always have the height and the depth of the hide and so on and so forth. Um, they want to have scattergrams. There's all sorts of information they want to be able to pull out of their systems. Um, to me, they're way more meticulous than probably most patrol dog handlers or narcotics dog handlers that I've seen, at least the ones that I've been associated to. Yeah, that's. Uh, I can see that. Yeah, I can see that. Uh, I, I've met a lot of do- uh, explosive dog handlers that don't, keep a ton of meticulous records only because they're like, well, I mean, there's not, not a lot of reason for me to go to court with an explosive dog. You know, it's not a dope dog where you can go every time. And, and I do believe that is uh, a huge mistake. And again, going back to justification. So agencies, there are people in agencies that don't believe you need a bomb dog. Well, yeah, especially yeah. medium sized agencies. Yeah, it's, it, it's totally dependent on them. The other thing, too, is they'll find an agency that's next door that'll do the service for them, so they don't bother to bring an explosive dog in. Um, I've seen 
a lot of cases where um, explosive teams themselves, as they start to train together, they, they, they have a tendency to focus uh, very intently on their own training styles. Uh, you don't see them training. I'm not sure about you guys, Eric and Ted, but do you see them associating very much with other style of trainers at all? Oh, no. <laughs> no, 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 no. You know? No. That, that, in They're fact, like a- that's... Yeah, that that is one thing that um, we talk about a lot. Um, you know, I, I know Eric and I both um, have groups lo- local to us um, that, you know, there's a group 10 minutes from me um, that's associated with a national organization. Um, and ironically enough, they bought their dogs from me and I never see them. Um, they train on the same nights we do. We I mean, it's like radio silence with those dudes. Um, and Eric, I know you've got another training group that's semi-close to you. That's kind of the same thing, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I get, you know, training groups are training groups. Um, the bomb dog guys kind of, especially the single purpose bomb dog guys, you know, we, we have in my agency, we have two dual purpose bomb dog guys. So they they have no choice really, but when it comes time to do detection, you know, they're going to go off and do their own little thing. And usually it's a smaller group. And, um, you as the trainer, if you're not paying attention, you don't know what these fucking guys are doing. Uh, they, they could be over there hiding, you know, matchstick heads, you know, just to be a, just to dick around. You have no idea. Cause you got 15 dope dogs. You got to do work for and three or four bomb dog handlers, man. I, I'm always, I was always waiting for them dudes to light something on fire or, or there'd be some weird you know, stupid accident because they were un unmonitored for the most part. But I love my bomb dog guys. Don't don't think I'm picking on you. But uh you guys yeah, they, <laughs> some of you guys get they, off they easy. Beat by a different, they beat by a different drum. They you know, <laughs> and I'm that's not a negative thing. They they have their own styles and their own solutions for things. Um and a lot of it doesn't mix with other other routines. Um but it's also kind of sad because there's a lot of interaction and a lot of things that they could actually, uh, narcotics teams, patrol teams, everybody can learn what everybody else does. It doesn't matter what your profile is. It's how you relate to the animals and the responses of the animals. You can all learn from each other. And so it would be nice if we could see a little bit more interaction with some of these teams and bring a few of them uh, together. And I think a lot of organizations do, but you still see some of those groups that sort of go off by themselves and you kind of wonder, yeah, what are they what are they doing over here? And I'd kind of like to get involved, but then at the same time, don't want to step on anybody's toes by doing that. Yeah, and I'm always shocked at um, we talked about this at the Bravo Three conference of how many bomb dog handlers actually don't know shit about explosives and um, trainers too. They're like, that's not my my job is to teach them to find the stuff. It's the handler's job to understand what the hell they do, and then. Now, now you have uh, definitely lack of training, lack of uh, um, documenting the records. You know, there's a ton of free explosive schools, and I, I think if you're if you're a bomb dog handler, documenting that you went to a an explosive school that has nothing to do with canines, but it has to do with the materials that you're searching for. Without document, that's also a humongous mistake because at some point you go to court, you're it. You're the expert for that city, area, region because you handle a bomb dog. So you don't want to go up there and go, actually don't know what PETN is. Um, is that plastic? Um, is that in C4? Uh, I, 
sorry, Your Honor, I don't know. And then you look like an idiot. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. That's one of the first things that I, I did when I first became a handler. We didn't have explosives dogs at all at that point. We never did have an explosives dog within our agency. But just for my own knowledge, because I wanted to get outside and learn from other explosives dogs, handlers, what they did because of my interest in the canine world, um, is I went and took a three-day explosives familiarization course with the RCMP. And nothing served me better than, than that course in my career as I went through and then later on I had an opportunity to work with explosive stock teams. Um, I, that advice that you've given right there to me should be paramount. I think that anybody that works in explosive stock should have an explosives familiarization course from your ATF or somebody that can teach them those tools. Yeah, they're free. A lot of them are free schools put on by the government. Um, I've been to several of them. Uh, and I was not a bomb dog handler, but I was a bomb dog trainer. So, you know, I definitely needed to, to go learn some of that stuff. So, um, oh, yeah. at this you point, the good part about it is, Eric, you know what the good part is, is they let you blow stuff up. Yes. I mean, <laughs> like cars and that. shit. Oh yeah. yeah. If anybody yeah. listen, if anybody listen to this, that follows the tripwire guys, I, I oh, God. Like, well, we had Cameron Ford on. He works with them. but And then we've also had Ryan on several times. But, yeah, I mean, Tripwire, um, they're an explosive ordinance company, but they also do canine stuff. But, yeah, they blow shit up all the time. <laughs> like, yeah, you get to blow stuff up. It's awesome, especially when you go do the HME stuff. Yeah, they blow stuff up there all the time. Yes. Yeah, it's crazy. I went to a school in New Mexico uh, twice, two different versions of it, and we blew up like a Ford Bronco and some other shit, like disintegrated that stuff. <laughs> How cool is that? Yeah. Yes. Uh, man. Uh, so yeah, if you're a canine handler, uh, handles an explosive dog, you should do those courses. And like you said, I mean, or even contact your bomb guys. I mean, those dudes will tell you, I mean, like for instance, TPD, like our bomb guys here in Tulsa are uh, apparently some of the best in the country and they're awesome. And I mean, you know, Dallas, I know I'm regionally, I mean, those guys are all super good. And if you're a canine handler and handle, um, an explosive dog that doesn't have like a dedicated bomb unit, does Canton have a dedicated bomb unit, Eric? Or you guys use state guys? No, we use a, a county North of Canton. Okay. So, but if you're like, I'm sure your canine handlers were, would get familiarized with them, dim dudes from North. Like they could call them and say, Hey, you know, what is c4 oh yeah. yeah yeah so and if you're listening to this you handle a bomb dog and you don't have a dedicated bomb unit find the biggest sheriff's office or city like large city that has one and i guarantee you those dudes will run you through a course of shit they may even invite you out to training when they blow stuff up and you can run the dog on actual odor on large amounts because they blow shit up all the time so that that's what i would do and then you can put it in your records there you go. <laughs> Dog found this, this depth and this amount. Mm. <laughs> both both detonated and not. So uh, I think at this point we're going to take a break real quick. We're going to pay some bills. Uh, we're going to be back with Bob Eden talking about uh, a system Canada. that is... Yeah, okay. I don't know the words, but that's yeah. It. We're gonna, that's all you Yeah, know. that's all the too. So we're going to talk about the uh, system that has kind of spawned out of this conversation after this. 
Eric here. Like many trainers, Ted and I go through toys with the hard, super chewer dogs we typically have in our kennel. So we need toys designed to withstand the grueling reality of high-drive working dogs. That's where USA Canine Dog Toys excel. Their toys are made from an extremely durable rubber compound. They have reward toys as well as food dispenser toys, all made to last and are very affordable. All the toys are military-themed. Go to the website, www.usa-canine.com. Check out the grenade-shaped toys. They got the cherry bomb. They got a lot of other great things over there, military-themed toys. Here's the best part. A portion of all USA Canine proceeds go to support military working dogs and other veterans' organizations. And that's freaking badass. www.usa-canine.com. Use the promo code K. Nine Pro, or check them out on Instagram at USA Canine Dog Toys. Hey everybody, it's Ted. Let's talk about training and conferences. We know training budgets are always tight, and that's why the crew from Hits goes the extra mile for you. Let's be honest here. There's no other canine training conference on the planet like Hits. It has now gotten so large that the 2019 Hits will be held at the largest convention center in North America. That's Chicago's McCormick Place. Experience matters when it comes to putting on a show like this and when it comes to police dog trainers. The guys who run Hits are still working police dogs, just like you. There's going to be three full days of training with five classes classes in session at a time. Toffers are going to range from patrol work and dog selection to case law to search and rescue to canine first aid and everything in between. They had 1,100 people in attendance last year in D.C. and are planning for more this year. And it wouldn't be a conference without the vendors. The McCormick Place has enough room for 100 vendor booths. You can meet the people that make the equipment you guys use every single day. The vendors make coming to hits an experience like nothing else in this industry, plus the free stuff. Everybody loves free stuff. Last year, they gave away about 40 grand in cash and prizes from vendors. I expect Chicago to be bigger. So come join the crew from Working Dog Radio in Chicago during the week of August 13th through the 16th at McCormick Place in Chicago, Illinois. Now, I know handlers and I know you people wait to the last minute to do everything. Don't be that guy. Head over to Hits Canine. Dot net. That's the letter K, the number nine, to get registered and save money on your registration for doing it early. There's also information about the discounted hotel rooms. That's August 13th through the 16th in Chicago. If you didn't write it down, we got the link in the show notes. Hey guys, Eric here. If you follow Ted and I, you know that we've been traveling all over the United States doing seminars. Every time I do one of those seminars, I like to ask the handler where they got their dog. Every time they tell me Southern Coast Canine, I know we're going to have a good time. I know it's going to be a good dog. We have been seeing a lot of their dogs at a lot of different seminars, detection, dual purpose, new handlers, experienced handlers, guys that have gone back to them over and over again. Uh, We just did the Bravo 3 conference recently down in Daytona and Southern Coast Canine brought out three green dogs. Like they just got them off the plane from Europe and they were bangers, all three of them. They killed the scenarios. They'd never seen any of that stuff, but their selection process is great. Check out their website, southerncoastk9.com. They're offering handler schools, trainer schools, supervisor schools. They got uh, a great relationship with Tripwire, so they're doing explosive stuff down there. Every year they do a huge detection seminar. Check out southerncoastk9.com. I've been really impressed, honestly, with the dogs that I've seen come from them. Southerncoastk9.com. Good people, great facility. Check them out. 
Hey everybody, it's Ted. Let's take a break for a second. Let's talk about Dogtra. We make no bones about the fact that Eric and I love Dogtra. In fact, we've been users of them since long before we even started the podcast, and it's one of the reasons that we approached them to be sponsors of the show. We typically only want to have stuff on here that we actually use and that we can stand behind and endorse. Dogtra is one of those companies. They've been at it for a long time and are industry leaders when it comes to production of reliable, consistent training equipment for your dog, whether it be poppers and droppers, whether it be e-collars or now they've got the new GPS one, which Eric has been playing with and he really, really likes it. So what I want everyone to do is head to dogtra.com. You get a 10% off of any item over $200 and you use the discount code WDR10. That's just like the initials of the show, Working Dog Radio, WDR10. Hit them up. Hey guys, Eric here. If you listen to Working Dog Radio or follow me on social media, Van SK9, you know that I am involved in a wide variety of aspects of the dog world. I am a police dog trainer, pet dog trainer, I own dog daycare, and I am a pet owner. So I have a wide variety of needs when it comes to gear for the dogs, daily living things for the dogs, all kinds of items, training, anything possible I need. I go to one place, rayallen.com. Rayallen.com is a one-stop shop for everything dog related. Anything you could possibly need, check them out. RayAllen.com. They've been doing a long time. Great customer service. Super high integrity at that place. RayAllen.com. Put in promo code WORKINGDOGRADIO for 10% off your next order. Ted and I love that place. RayAllen.com. Get on there. Click everything you need. Ship it all at once. RayAllen.com for all things dogs. Yo, everybody, let's talk about getting a job. Coast to Coast Canine is hiring experienced full-time and part-time drug and explosive detection canine handlers. If you're interested, shoot Peggy Heiser an email at pheiser, P-H-E-I-S-E-R at c2ckanine.com. That's the letter C, the number two, the letter C, the number K, the number nine.com. What you have to have to be eligible for this is a minimum of three years knowledge in handling detection or training experience with law enforcement and military and large breed high drive dogs. You gotta possess a trainer certification from a state recognized agency or national certification such as USPCA, NAPWADA, NNDDA, or something similar. You also need to have a knowledge and or experience as an instructor or a canine handler with a state recognized agency like the Florida Department of Law Enforcement. You gotta speak fluent Spanish and English. If you have all that, they're willing to give you a competitive wage and employee benefits. Again, that's P. Heiser at C2CCanine.com. Highland Canine Training, LLC. To all of my fellow LE Canine guys, Highland Canine should definitely be on your short list of vendors when it comes time to adding to your unit or replacing one of your dogs. Highland Canine offers green and pre-trained single and dual purpose dogs if you train in-house. But most importantly, they offer a full-service canine academy with canine handlers courses, canine instructors courses, specialized advanced canine training, and canine supervisors courses. Jason and his staff of instructors have been there and done that in this game. They run these classes year-round, so go to their awesome website at www.tacticalpolicecaninetraining.com. That's Tactical Police, the letter K, the number 9, training.com, and make your unit better. All right, we're back with Bob Eden from uh, Canada. This is our second uh, Make Canadian Canine Great Again episode. 
Uh, we've been talking records, record keeping, and how to CYA uh, if you are a active law enforcement handler in the United States or Canada. Uh, so, Bob, moving forward um, with the importance of records, and you had people designing this system for you, um, you came up with CATS, um, which well, is a web-based system now. Was it always web-based, or was it, uh, like, hard drive-based at first? No, it was all standalone there until actually 2017. We actually waited too long to, to move to web-based, but it became web-based in 2017. What we did is we took and did a full-blown redevelopment of it from the ground up. Uh, we'd actually done one prior to that. We did one specifically for Amtrak Corporation. All their explosives dogs uh, were on cats. I think it was about 10 years prior. And that was our first sort of experiment with web-based, and it went extremely well. And so this was almost uh, a spawn of that type of routine. So walk us through a little bit. Um the thing about this system, you know, all of my guys, because I have several groups, I think I have between six and 10 different agencies that train with me like all the time and they all use something different. Um, you know, the guys that have more than one dog obviously are on the same system, but you know, talk about the importance of consistency, um, in terms of how it's reported, what's recorded, everything else. Um, and, why this makes it much easier than doing it the old school way of paper and everything else? Oh man, there's, there's so many advantages. Um, first of all, you can do it on the fly. You can do it on your phone. You can do it on a MDT in the car. You can do it on a desktop in the office. So as a matter of convenience, it's just right there for you. It's not like the old days. Um, and it's a, it's a real blessing in that respect. As far as being able to put it in as you're working, what makes it really nice is when you're out doing a training profile, say you're doing a track, you're not trying to remember going back to the office what you did and basically what your results were. You're able to do it on the fly right then and there. And I think most of the systems that are out there are like that, and that's, that's a real benefit. Um, the biggest thing is to make sure that we're honest and that we've got high integrity when we're putting in the information because then we never have to worry about what's coming out. Uh, the biggest advantage of them, of course, is that when you need to get hit, and I know recently I just assisted an agency that had a supervisor that hadn't been in the CAT system before, but he'd had his handlers using it, and he all of a sudden got hit with a subpoena that gave him three days to produce all the training and deployment records for his particular officer. And at a touch of a button, within 10 minutes, he had everything he needed. So that's, that's the real advantage. That's where it comes. But again, it all depends as to you get out of it what you put into it. And that's, that's really what it boils down to. When you have your, uh, I heard you say earlier about having a supervisor school, what do you, what do you talk to them about? And when you're talking to them about the CAT system and everything, do you kind of run them through it so they're not uh, ignorant of it? Or you just go through like, look, guys, you got, you, it's all about just records. What do you guys get into? We, we do a little bit of both. Um, I, I don't do a, a, a class just on cats itself at that particular school because when I'm teaching a canine supervisor school, it's, it's with a fellow by the name of Tom, uh, sorry, not Tom Howarth, I'm thinking wrong here. It's with uh, Ron Cloward is who I uh, teach with. And it's oh, from Modesto. Out in California. Yeah. Sorry? From Modesto, right? That's correct. Yeah, and, he uh, just... Yeah. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say he did that, uh, that he was a, uh, him and, um, 
um, uh, Doug were uh, witnesses for that case recently where that dog bit that uh, that retired dog broke out and bit that person and you know that had yep. some pretty that's a completely different conversation but it is a, it has to do with records but yeah Ron Ron's awesome and we I I think Alicia's reached out and had him on here but sorry I'm sorry continue yeah he did no he did an awesome job out there they all did and and to, just so that you know I don't know if anybody are aware or not but they did that pro bono they didn't charge for that at all. Um, because they yeah. believed in what they were doing out there. Um, yeah, yeah. So kudos to them for that. But the, the course that we teach, it, we, we have to sort of support the officers that are there, regardless of what record-keeping system they're taking uh, to use. And what I recommend, uh, even though I want people, obviously, to, to use a product that I've developed, and, uh, and I might add also, uh, very grateful in, in, to mention them here is, uh, Terry Fleck was foundational in helping me for many, many years. Uh, him and I were were very, very um, involved in this type of thing and uh, took a lot of what we did in CAPS is directly related to the advice that was given to me over the years by, by Terry Fleck. Um, and that's kind of how it evolved. It wasn't just by me. Uh, it was by other people having input into the system. But what I was getting down to is that it doesn't matter what system you use as long as the system is doing what you need it to do and that your officers are willing to put the input in. If they don't enjoy using the system, if it's too difficult to use, they're not going to use it. So what I recommend is use whatever system that you can as long as the officers feel comfortable using it. That's the main thing is to, is to get buy-in from the handlers to be able to get that information there. Does that make sense? Is it what I'm saying? Oh, oh yeah, and it's got to be yeah. easy to pull out, not just to put right. in, but like you said, you, that supervisor's freaking out, and then 10 minutes later, he's like, oh, shit, that was easy. And here, here's exactly. this whole big, huge list of stuff. Exactly. So it's a matter of choosing a system that's right for you. So when I do the supervisor's course with Ron, uh, when we're teaching this, we do it more general. And I'll give a class based on my experiences as far as, um, teaching the supervisors what they should know and what they should be looking for when they're looking at these records, just to make sure that all the I's are dotted, the T's are crossed, and so on and so forth. But I don't, per se, give actually a, a course on CAT. Uh, that would be something that um, I would do as a separate type of routine. But when we're doing these uh, canine supervisors classes, we try to keep it pretty general. So speaking of admins, um, you know, I know you both and a lot of my guys also um, work for people that have never handled a dog. Um, and you know, th these people range from excessively worried about liability to the point that it's stifling to the exact opposite end where they're just kind of like, go do whatever you want. And there is absolutely no oversight. So for the admins listening to this, if you had to give these guys right with, <laughs> with respect to records, uh, you know, what's a couple of things that you would say when you're managing a canine unit, whether it has two or 20 dogs or whatever it is, what do these guys need to be looking for? How often should they be involved in training? Not necessarily involved day to day, but like spot checking and how do they spot check and how does this help? You know what? We recommend a, a number of things. Number one, number one is there's no reason to be liability scared. 
The key is to be liability conscious, but don't run liability scared, and that will make a huge Thank difference. you. Right. Thank you yeah. for saying Thank that. You. That's what the name of this episode is going to be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Holy crap, that was awesome. Holy I, shit. I say that all the time. I'm like, you guys I, see lawsuits <laughs> around every tree like boogeymen. <laughs> so, <laughs> liability conscious, <laughs> yes. <laughs> exactly. And the other thing that we go through a whole series of steps. We talk to them about handler selection. We talk to them about dog selection. Uh, we, we teach them how, if I'm training somebody, how to select a dog for a particular personality type. Uh, there's a lot of things that come into play. Um, when, when we start talking to these guys, we find that a lot of them have never, ever been out to training. Uh, they sit behind a desk. They've got other responsibilities. Uh, and that's very difficult, particularly out in California. Out in California, uh, some of these guys will have, uh, you'll have a supervisor that will have maybe five, sometimes six different assignments, and canine is just one of them. And that makes it very difficult. They're spread pretty thin. Uh, but what we try to recommend is say, hey, listen, go out and spend time with your officers. Go out and at least spend one night a week, or sorry, one night a month uh, with your officers just to go out and ask them questions, be involved with them, let them know that you care. And the reason why I say that is because, to be honest with you, I don't think there's any more dedicated uh, bunch of people than dog handlers. Um, the men and women that work in that job are doing it because they love what they do and it's a challenge for them. They are very, very dedicated people. And it doesn't take very much for a supervisor to show up, spend a little bit of time with them, and it means the world to those handlers just to know that their supervisor carries enough just to come out and ask a couple of questions, see, see their training and participate. Just a little bit. They don't even have to take bites. All they got to do is show up. If you take a bite, do a little bit of muzzle work with them, so much the better. You're going to get more bang for your buck there. But those handlers, guaranteed, if you show a little bit of interest to those handlers and you care about them and that you look after their interests, they will make you as a supervisor look good. Drop the mic and walk off after that. That's I was it. about to say, Eric, what do you have to say about that? That was it. Drop the mic, turn around, and walk off. <laughs> Uh, like peace man. out bitches that i just said it all we could change the entire th theme of this episode from records and everything else in the love of canada to this is how you are should be as a supervisor yeah and you know, so we've had, not we, right we had a supervisor on here i mean uh uh we had a supervisor on and it was oh, yeah. never that had never handled dog frank, and, frank. yeah and you know and you know he was from the beginning. He was like, "Man, fuck! I don't want to watch over these guys and everything else." And all of a sudden, their canine unit, frankly, sucked. And he was like, "Why do we suck?" He had no idea. And uh, you and I are kind of dude from uh, where was he from? Georgia or somewhere over there? Come up to us and say, "Hey, you know, never been a canine." He came up to us at hits last year and said, "You know, I've never been a canine handler, but I've got um, I don't remember. It was four or five dogs." And he said, he's probably going to listen to this and email me and be like, oh, motherfucker, I told you this. So he had, you know, however many dogs. And he said, you know, um, I listened to what you guys said about, because we've talked about this before. And he was like, you know, I want you to know that, you know, you guys have helped with us running or managing um, some of these some of these dogs. And he was like, you know, I was never a canine handler and I was kind of resentful of having to do it. And all of a sudden we had a couple of surrenders that should have been that could have been lethal force. And then we had a couple of good stops with interdiction things. And we we're like, hold on a second. <laughs> 
So what? How does this work again? And all of a sudden, right. this guy gets super interested and is like, "Shit, these dudes can make me look like rock stars." And he was like, "All of a sudden, I got three more dogs and just turned them loose." And he was like, "They're great." He was like, "I give those guys whatever they want, anything they want, they can have for the most part." And you know, they're super productive. They're super motivated. They're great. Uh, Marion County Sheriff's Office, another one. Those guys are super well supported by uh, that sheriff and Jay Nix and those boys, and they are super productive and super successful. All those teams are. So, I mean, that's something that goes back to what you say, Eric. I mean, you know, don't try and buy your way in. You need to have support from the top down. Yep. If it doesn't start at the top of the idea or it's not supported, it's doomed. It's going to fail um, either by their their hand or just by osmosis. Yeah. Or they'll look for a reason to fire you, which is why you need to keep good records. Yeah, Either they do fire yeah. you. They're not going to fire you. You'll go back to patrol, but they're not going to take your job. They may take your dog, but they're not going to take your job. You'll still be a cop. They're not going to fire you. So, I mean, there's that. So, Bob, how many how many of those those particular supervisors schools a year do you do? Is it a set schedule or is it based on need? I know that we do one every spring in Lake Tahoe, um, and that's full virtually every time. And then we'll do them around the country as needed. Um, every once in a while, we'll, we'll fly down to that. We, we've done one out in Maryland. We've done them down in Texas. It just depends to where uh, people feel the need. If they want to put one together, they give Ron a call. We set it up, and away we go. I like it. Uh, Tahoe in the spring. I could yeah. fake being a supervisor. I could be like, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm Lieutenant uh, Sucka shit. Here I am. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that sucks. Tahoe in the spring is probably terrible. I'm right. sure. It's, it's wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> Probably ugly, ugly. Yeah, I'm sure that's I'm sure that's terrible. So, uh, Bob, tell us a little bit about where we can find cats and where we can find um, you for people listening. Should they want to try the cat system out, and should they want to get in contact with you uh, about some of the consulting stuff? Well, the main website for cats is now we've renamed it as catsplatinum.com is where they would go. So it's k a t s platinum.com. And on the, the other side of that is I've got my own business page. It's the police dog home page. It's simply police, the letter K, the number nine, dot com. Uh, as far as the, where, or sorry, the uh, Facebook is concerned, I'm not much in the way of social media. I do have a police dog home page uh, up on the Internet, but it's, or sorry, on, the, uh, on Facebook. But it's not, uh, it's not linked just for law enforcement. It's pretty much open to anybody although we do have an enormous amount of law enforcement officers on there. Uh, it's more uh, for a social aspect as opposed to discussing any types of training and that type of thing. But you can reach me through any one of those. So you said you own policecanine.com? Correct. How the hell did you get that? I got that, Did listen, you get that like when the internet was invented? That's pretty much it. I was just going to say, it was, that's what I got. It was. Uh, it's got to be... It's in the early '80s, like when it first when it first started to come. For some reason, I picked <laughs> hmm. it off, and I got lucky. Yeah, you, you yeah, called Al Gore. Uh, hey, dude, put that aside for me. <laughs> Seriously, when Scott yeah. bought um, what is now Torchlight, you know, like his icon Torchlight, but when Scott bought the predecessor to that, he also got BombDog.com, DrugDog.com, and 
Fuck, I don't remember. I, I mean, if you go to like bombdog.com, it goes to Torchlight. And it's the same thing. People are like, how'd you get that? I'm like, dude, it was back when the internet was invented. <laughs> it's the same thing. Like, You picked I mean, up a can with a string and said, I'll exactly. take that. So we sent him you a letter. Bombdog. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. Put it, put it in the mail. <laughs> Fucking snail mail. So, Bob, real quick. Um, recently, there was a case in, I think, on your side of the country over there, um, about a dog and a handler that... Um, and Eric and I got asked about this a lot, and I'm like, I'm not up to date on Canadian case law, so I'm not the person to ask. I, I said, I know how this would have gone if it was in the United States, but um, uh, there was a case where the dog ran the vehicle, a handler ran the vehicle to the dog, and the dog, for whatever reason, I think the handler said the dog couldn't get to a full alert or couldn't do a full behavior, a TFR, because there was a curb in the way. And the judge allowed the suppression, and in the car they found a ton of fentanyl. Um, so it was suppressed. But people in the United States were shocked. They were like, holy shit, how does that happen? And I'm like, well, it's Canada. And so do you have any insight on that case? You don't have to mention the name, the department, or anything like that. And I know it's been done. Or is it done? I'm trying to remember. I think it's still, I think it's, I don't know what the situation is with it. I know the case that you're talking about. It was the RCMP. I think right. the handler acted perfectly well. I think the dog performed really well. The car was parked up very tight against a, um, a concrete abutment. And as a result, the, there wasn't quite enough room there for the dog, for the dog to do a complete finish. Where the judge came up with this decision is beyond me. I honestly can't explain it myself. Um, I don't understand... And you hear a lot of uh, these officers and these handlers talking about needing their dog to be able to be trained to a complete finish. But you can tell when your dog is in a behavior change that is telling you that there's narcotics in the vehicle. And if right. that dog can go to source and sit and give you a final, then I've got no issue, and that would be the preferred method. But that's not necessary to tell you that there's narcotics in that vehicle. Right. And, and I'm hoping that somebody's going to appeal it. Uh, it was in British Columbia, but I honestly haven't got a clue if they're going to appeal it or not. I think it's right. a bad decision. Yeah, and in the United States, um, we have 14, 15, 14, 15 cases um, at the federal level um, that specifically talk about a change in behavior is enough to establish probable cause here. Um, not necessarily what we call a final alert or whatever you want to call it in, in multiple languages, but the thing that is common in these these cases that are um, in the United States is that there's a change of behavior that establishes it. And why I even bring this up is because that established change of behavior is a very finite and specific set of behaviors, I, you know, specific to a specific dog and handler team. And those need to be documented in training and in actual deployment stops. And they need to look like the same thing. Uh, about when this case actually came out, Eric and I did a thing on our Patreon deal. If you're not there, um, you won't know what I'm talking about. But I wrote a lengthy, you know, five or six page deal about, you know, what a change of behavior is. And then, you know, uh, Utah Post actually has a really good what they call matrix or behavior matrix or anything else uh, that kind of identifies what these little minute behaviors are with a lot of dogs. And, you know, why this is a very you know, scary decision from Canada. And, you know, I can tell from talking to some people that there's a couple of, there's several 
people that are in the United States that are paying attention to it. And they're like, oh, shit, well, maybe I can make the same argument here. And I'm like, well, <laughs> about that. <laughs> we no, we, yeah, we, we've we've kind of hemmed that up for a while. So you're good. But I just want, you know, handlers to know in the United States that that there are people watching and there are people paying attention to what's going on up there. And they're trying to make that argument. Uh, well, they, there was a case, which I'm not going to mention because I know some attorney is going to hear this, but there was a case that recently happened in the United States that um, a, an attorney successfully argued something similar to that and got a suppression. Uh, the case was issued or the case was published uh, in March and um, it was bad. It was real bad. And the the handler totally fucked it on that one, like bad. And he said everything wrong he could. He said he did everything wrong he could. And he gave them everything they needed, but it was a very similar deal. And I can't believe that the government didn't have something to say about it for, you know, the fucking 30 years of established case law. But on top of that, um, the handler wasn't studied up on it either. So if you're listening to this, if you're an admin or if you're a handler, send me something from your official email address at host at working dog radio. And I'll send you what we wrote. I'll send you all the cases and I'll send you all of that stuff so that you don't make the same decision. And we don't go down that road for sure. You know, the other thing just to, to double on that is that a lot of it is ill preparation by the handlers when they yep. go into court and it, the, you've got to have the records to back it up, but it's not just about records. It's about how you present yourself and how you articulate it in court. Not only that, but your prosecutor has to know his business as well. Everybody has to be on the same page. And if yeah. something comes up, you've got to be able to work out amongst you. You've got to know your stuff when you go into that courtroom. Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, while we were at Blue Line, um, Eric and I um, instructed at the uh, thing in, in Philly. And um, there was a DEA detective and a prosecutor for Excuse me. One of the uh, one of the counties up there. Or I'm sorry. Are they counties? It's a commonwealth. One of the counties up there, and um, the they were super on the ball, and their entire class was about how to write reports and how to answer questions and what you should and shouldn't say and everything else. So, you know, if you guys are listening to this, aside from reports, go talk to your prosecutors. You know, go fill them in on case law if you know. If not send one of us an email we'll send it to you fill them in on case law fill them in on everything else because they're they have so much workload that if you help them prepare uh you'll be much further ahead of you know should something come up so and i do that all the time here i mean because you know in oklahoma marijuana is now kind of in that gray area because it's medical but it's not recreational and every time i do a dog here you know, I have to tell the, the agency, I'm like, you know, you need to ask the district attorney's office, you know, what they're going to do. Like, do you want me to actively prosecute? Do you want me to actively hunt this stuff down or not? And I've had some counties say, nope, we don't care. And I've had some say, yep, we're still we're still we're still arresting. We're still doing everything else. So still, yeah, we still want it. I'm like, OK, so, you know, just be cognizant of, you know state laws and you know kind of local laws and i know in some states too like denver like eric just mentioned you know denver just denver the city of denver just legalized mushrooms so that's kind of one of those like no dog smells anyway but it's kind of like on that forefront of maintaining your kind of staying up on case law staying up on records and staying up on communication with your prosecutors the last thing you want to do is walk in there the day of you know, in your suit and tie and not know anything about what they're going to ask you or anything else. So for sure, be prepared. Absolutely. 
You know what I used to do is I used to have a, uh, a list of what I call predicate questions. And I would hand them to the prosecutor. These are the questions I want you to ask me before we actually even get into the case. Because what it does is it ends up qualifying you. And with those predicate questions, you can then be qualified as an expert witness should the prosecutor ask the judge to do so. And you find it when you go into court. And that was for me, it was tracking questions. Like I said, that was my bread and butter back then. And those predicate questions and the communication between the prosecutor and you could set you up beautifully. It got to the point where, and you know that when you continually testify in a certain district all the time, you get to know the, the, the bad guys' attorneys as well as your prosecutors. So your suspect attorneys will come in, they look at you and see who it is that's testifying. A lot of times they just look at their guy and say, we're going to plead you guilty. Simply because <laughs> they know you're so readily prepared. You know, yeah. I've had that happen on, on a number of occasions. As soon as I showed up in court and they knew for sure I was going to be there, they would plead their guy out. They wouldn't even bother. But it took, it probably took about two to three years of just constantly doing these predicate questions, uh, doing uh, really positive things as far as testimony is con- in court is concerned, uh, being extremely well prepared. And it got to the point where when it came to a tracking case, if I ended up going on to the stand, they basically, if I was going to show up there, they would turn their guys and just say, yeah, we're going to plead them out. That'll yeah, I, you know, I, I have a, a really good friend here locally that's a um, a federal defense attorney, uh, a PD for uh, federal district court here in uh, not in my district, but in the state. And, you know, he jokes that um, depending on who he's talking to, dogs are nothing more than walking probable causes. It is. And, you know, he's he is he's one of those guys that I would not want to be questioned by. <laughs> And he knows his stuff for sure, but you know, occasionally he'll have come up against some of the OHP boys, and those boys generally have their stuff dialed. And he's like, "Yeah, well, <laughs> there's you I know mean, what? There's there's nothing yep. I can do about it. I got to find something exactly. else." In the old days, the defense counsel, you know, they weren't all that wise to canine cases. They weren't that knowledgeable in it. That has changed, and it's time that. We as a profession, as an industry, buck up and make sure that our standards continue to improve so that we can take on these pro- or these defense counsel now that are getting more educated. We need to be able to take them head on and to be able to prove ourselves. And we need to do it with integrity and we, may, we need to be able to do it uh, in a fashion that, that makes them stand up and realize that we know what we're doing when we get on the stand. Excellent. So... Um catsplatinum.com and then what is that spelled kts and where is the uh, consulting page the police dog page the police dog home page is just it's police and the letter k the number nine.com excellent so yeah that's that's right because we you had to buy that from al gore so yeah bob <laughs> This interview has been fantastic. Um, it kind of veered off into um, admin land, but uh, that's something that you know Eric is super passionate about because he's had to work for those guys. So, Eric, Eric, you and I need to get together if you want to talk about administrators. You need to give me a call because I got I got lots of stories on that. Well, we're going to be at hits, so we can do it there. <laughs> hey, good. But. We'll get together. Sounds good. <laughs> Eric loves admins. I do. Big fan. <laughs> mm-hmm. You can tell. So yeah, Bob, yeah. Uh, we really appreciate it, man. It's been a great interview. Um, for everyone listening, um, if you got questions about what we talked about, shoot us an email, host at workingdogradio.com. 
uh, Eric or I or Alicia will fill you in on that end. Uh, make sure it comes from an official .gov, .org, .whatever, something, email address, or send me some way to verify so that I'm not sending stuff to some attorney that doesn't need to get a hold of it. Um, so, uh, yeah, Eric, uh, what else you got going on? Anything else? No, patreon.com, Working Dog yep. Radio. Look us up on our Patreon page. We're putting up uh, new content often. Um, we got a really good deployment video from me in 2009, I believe. Yeah, you um, and Willie. Dash cam video. Yeah. It, yeah. I think it was on VHS or some shit. It was, it was a while ago. So. Yeah, we had to convert it. it, it, it yeah. <laughs> it was a little rough. Um, yeah, a little, yeah. beta, little beta tape. How about you? <laughs> yeah. There's people, there's handlers listening to be like, what's VHS? Yeah, what so, does mean? <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, you can find us on Instagram at working underscore dog underscore radio and then working dog radio on Facebook. Uh, me at Ted underscore Summers on Instagram. And where can we find you, Eric? Van S K9 on Instagram, Van S K9 Academy on facebook and if you like fuzzy little cute dog pictures on van s doggy daycare we got that page too yeah i forgot to mention torchlight also i actually train dogs when i'm not i want to take a second to talk about equipment selection for patrol work one of the most important aspects of teaching and maintaining patrol functions is your equipment Proper equipment selection and fit makes all the difference in the world when it comes to creating and maintaining patrol and sport dogs. This episode is possible in part with support from Arno at ALM Suits. Because of the importance of this equipment, I use ALM Suits exclusively. I've owned one for about five years and use it almost daily at the kennel and have caught thousands of dogs and tens of thousands of bites. Arno was able to make a great fitting suit for my lanky ass and I couldn't be happier with it. Arno can take your measurements and make you a suit each and everything he does in his shop in Vegas. Between the top-notch materials and the handmade aspect, you're getting some of the best bite equipment in the world from ALM. The suits come in a full range of weights, from training weight to comp weight, which is what I use because I'm not a pussy and you shouldn't be either. He offers some Kevlar inserts to make the thinner suits a little safer and more comfortable, plus they keep your tattoo artist happy. He makes a full range of toys and reward tugs also. Be sure to hit him up at alnk9equipment.com that's the letter K, the number 9, or arno, A-R-N-O at almsuits.com Be sure to use the discount code WDRADIO for 10% off your first order. Tell him you heard it here. Now go get bit. Eric here. Like many trainers, Ted and I go through toys with the hard super chewer dogs we typically have in our kennel. So we need toys designed to withstand the grueling reality of high drive working dogs. That's where USA Canine Dog Toys excel. Their toys are made from an extremely durable rubber compound. They have reward toys as well as food dispenser toys, all made to last and are very affordable. All the toys are military themed. Go to the website, www.usa-canine.com Check out the grenade-shaped toys. They got the cherry bomb. They got a lot of other great things over there, military-themed toys. Here's the best part. A portion of all USA Canine proceeds go to support military working dogs and other veterans' organizations. And that's freaking badass. www.usa-canine.com. Use the promo code K9PRO. Or check them out on Instagram at USA Canine Dog Toys. Everybody loves stuff that goes boom and we couldn't talk about stuff that goes boom without talking about tripwire operations group there's some of the best in the industry at stuff that makes loud noises and blows stuff up specifically for guys in this podcast for if you're handling an explosive dog or you're a trainer of an explosive dog they have one of the most well-rounded ready-to-go kits in the correct amounts and odors for any national standard or state standard certification head over to tripwireops.org to check it out 
They're headquartered in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, and a group of first responders dedicated to serving first responders. They believe that the most highly trained and prepared first responders create a safer America. They prepare you guys and other first responders and military to protect our country by providing products, services, training, and relationships which together no one else provides. In fact, they've done several HME large hide courses recently, which is a really valuable thing for explosives handlers because you're not really able to get that much odor in one place at one time safely. And these guys do a fantastic job. Be sure to head over to tripwireops.org and check out the full list of classes they've got going on and have contact info there on the website. Again, tripwireops.org. You got your reasons, I got my wants. Still got that feeling, but I'm too old to die young now. Working Dog Radio is graciously granted permission to use this music by Brother Deeg. Be sure to check him out at brotherdeeg.blogspot.com. That's spelled brother, D-E-G-E, dot blogspot.com. Be sure to buy him a beer at Amazon, iTunes, or CD Baby, or anywhere you stream your music. Working Duck Radio was edited and co-produced by Alicia Brandt.